Father, just want to commit the next few moments to you. Pray that you will take hold of broken vessels, Lord, and use them for your glory. For it's not the vessels, but the treasure that is in the vessels that are that is important, Lord. So we pray that the treasure, your word, may be seen and heard. Pray that you will use Kim's hands, Lord, to communicate truth to our deaf brothers and sisters, Lord. Use my words, Father, to, to speak into the lives of others. God, we pray that you yourself will take full control over every word, every action, every thought today. We pray against the enemy, Lord. We pray that you will rebuke Satan, that he will have no hold in this meeting. Lord God Almighty, every activity of the enemy will be ceased and stopped by your hand. And that you will have free reign in this place, O oh God. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, we've been... Um, um, Bill, the uh, microphone. Or it might need to be the loop system. speaking about a um, what a Christian is like what is a Christian like could be loud now right now what is a Christian like you see we've been saying that a Christian is different to a non-believer in that his mind is set on different things we've said that a person who's not a Christian, their mind is set on things belonging to this world, at this time. And they can't focus on, on the things of heaven. And um, their heart belongs to this world. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon a man, when the Holy Spirit comes upon a woman, that person is changed. So much so that their thinking and their heart is now controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so we've seen that a number of times. We've seen it um, in our Bible reading. It says over here in um, my little clicker not working. Here we go. Thank you. But you are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Holy Spirit. This is true if the Spirit of God lives in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. Again, um, the next slide says this. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So if you're led by God's Spirit, you belong to him. Now in our Bible, we reading, we said that God did not give us a spirit of fear. God did not give us, when he calls you as a child into his presence and calls you, call you into a relationship with him, he does not give you a spirit of fear. Now there's two areas where people are fearful. Okay, next slide please, uh, Emily. The first um, area is the fear 
of death. So many people are fearful of death. This probably is the, the greatest fear to some people. is the fear of dying. I remember, was it 18 years ago, I think, watching the Twin Towers and seeing those aeroplanes going into the Twin Towers. 18 years ago. And seeing those people up on top, wondering what to do. The fear that must have been in those people's lives at that time must have been horrendous. Or go over to London and go over to the Grenfell Tower, just over there in in London, and, and that fire that started up in the second or third floor, and you think about all the people in that tower block. The fear that must have been upon them and around them. And we all understand that. We all understand that surrounding death is a fear that causes us not to think about it, causes us to to drive by graveyards and drive by funeral directors and and, and not see these things because we don't want to think about death. Well, why? Because there's a fear associated with it that is that grips us. I remember I went into a hospital and uh, to visit somebody. And as I was visiting this lady, she said to me, Jerry, last night was terrible in this ward. Because the doctors forgot to give some medication to this old lady opposite me. Very frail she was. But she was in her 80s or something and she was in that bed and in the middle of the night, She started screaming and she jumped out of bed and she ran straight into the glass window in great fear. And the um, doctors came and and, and sedated her and put her back into bed and she died that morning. One of the reasons why they do sedate you is because there's a fear facing you when you're about to die. But saying that, I went back to the same woman's bed and she was dying. And she said to me, Pastor, I had this marvelous dream. I tell me, her name was Mrs. Johnson. Tell me, Mrs. Johnson, what was your dream? She goes, I was laying in a in bed, in this bed, and surrounded me was this green, green meadow. This green grass. And there was a fence going all around me. And I just felt that I was a sheep in this, in this pasture. And the word of God came to my mind. I said, you know, the Bible says that he leads me beside still waters and he feeds me in green pastures. The next morning she died. You know, the Bible turns around and says this. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. So the God who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. He will do this because of the spirit who lives in you. You know, because Jesus raised from the dead, that same spirit is in a believer. So when they're facing death, when everyone else is fearful, 
can't think about doing a will, can't think about going to a graveside, can't think about losing a loved one. When everyone is scared and fearful about death, the person who's filled with the Holy Spirit can look death in the face and say, I do not fear you. Because Christ has put his Holy Spirit in me and I know, I know that after death I will see his face. The fear of death is taken away from the children of God. But there's another fear. There's the fear of judgment. Now, I think maybe this fear might be even worse. I think the Bible says, actually, it is worse than fearing death. Look what the Bible says in Matthew chapter um, 10, verse 28. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says this. This is Jesus speaking He says, and do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus said, you know, don't fear the person who can kill the body. I tell you who you should really fear. You should fear the one who after the body has been destroyed can take the body and the soul and cast it into hell. Now you say, that's very strong words. It's very strong words. But do you know, these words were spoken by Jesus. And after he spoke these words, he said to the people, do you know how much God loves you? He said to them, your very hair on your head are numbered. He said to them, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny, but you are worth more than many sparrows. This comes just after this verse. If you want to open your Bible to Matthew 10 and read on, you will hear Jesus speaking these words of love. That you are worth more than many sparrows. Even if one falls to the ground, God knows it. You don't know a sparrow's died, but God knows a sparrow when it falls dead on the ground. But you are worth more than them. Your very hair on your head are all numbered. But this same Jesus who spoke the words of love said these words. He says, don't fear the person who can kill your body. I tell you who you should be worried about. I'm telling you who you should be fearing. Some of you are not believers yet. Some of you just coming into church to hear a little bit about what goes on in here. But this is what God turns around and says. I tell you, don't fear the gangsters and the murderers and the people out there. I tell you who you should fear, says God. Fear him who after the body has been finished with has the power to throw you into hell. That's who you should fear. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, That God has not given us a spirit of fear. He has not given the children of God the spirit of fear. Well, why not? Well, it's in our Bible reading. In Romans 8 verse 1, it says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't need to fear him who has the power to throw me into hell. No, why not? Because there's no condemnation in me now because I'm in Christ. I have been redeemed. I have been saved. I have been ransomed. 
God loves me and placed me in Jesus. So therefore, I don't need to fear the judgment. I don't need to fear death. I don't need to fear an angry God. Because an angry God has taken all of his anger and placed it on Jesus on the cross. There's no more left for me. All of God's wrath has been poured out on Jesus. There's no more left for me. It's all been taken care of. Therefore, there's no fear of judgment. Now, if you're a Christian today, that's good news. If you're a Christian today, in your heart, you'll be saying, Hallelujah, praise be to God. There's no fear of judgment. But if you're not a believer today, you need to be thinking, well, how can I get in Christ? That's what you should be thinking. That's what you should be asking. How can I get in Christ? Never mind my body that will finish dead, gone and buried. That's done. But how can I get into Christ? Because I'm going to stand before an angry God one day. And I don't want to stand before him naked without no defense. I want to be in Christ. And so this wonderful news that the, this God has given the Christian. He hasn't given them a spirit of fear. So they haven't to fear death, nor do you have to fear judgment. So what has God given the Christian? Well, my next slide says this. He's given them a, a gift of sonship. Do you know, it's possible to be, in the Bible, it's possible to be a slave and then to become a son in the Bible. Do you know that? It's possible to start off as being a slave and to end up inheriting your master's fortunes. That happens in the Bible. A class, a class example of that is Abraham. Look at what it says about Abraham in the Bible. Abraham is speaking to God, and Abraham says to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my house, or slave in my household, will be my heir. It's possible for a slave, a servant in the house of a rich man to be able to inherit all of his stuff because this servant has been faithful. This servant has been obedient. This servant has been good, has served his master well. And when the master dies, he has no sons. Or maybe he has a son. He said, you know, I cannot disinherit this man. He's been so good to me. I will make him like one of my sons possible. Happened in the Bible many, many times. Now, Paul says this about you and I. He says, God has looked at you and is going to give you the gift of sonship. But the difference is, you don't deserve it. Those other servants in the Bible, they've been faithful, they've been good, they've been obedient, and the masters have said, I can't disherit that man, he's been such a good man to me, I'm going to bless him. But you and I, the Bible says, that while God, here the first up on the screen here, God demonstrates his love to us 
by this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still God's enemies, while we were being disobedient, while we were being God-haters, while we were shaking our fists at him, while we were despising and rejecting Christ, while we were doing that, Christ still died for us. In other words, we don't deserve anything from God. And yet, God turns around and says, I'm going to love you anyway. You don't deserve me to love you, I'm going to love you anyway. You don't deserve to be called my daughter. I'm going to call you my daughter anyway. You don't deserve to be called my son. I'm going to give you the gift of sonship anyway. Not because of anything you have done, but because of everything that Christ has done. That's how God demonstrates his love for you and for me. Now, Paul mentions this and he speaks about what Christ has done. But he also says about what the Spirit has done because Jesus spoke about the spirit already you see Jesus said in John 14 verse 17 Jesus says this the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you. So what Jesus is saying here is that the Christian has the Holy Spirit living in them. If you are a born-again believer this morning, the Spirit of God resides, lives in you. And as the Spirit lives in you, let me tell you what the Spirit of Christ does. When the Spirit of Christ is in you, he teaches you How to pray like Jesus. He teaches you how to pray like Jesus. Well, you may ask the question, and it's going to be a good question. Well, how did Jesus pray? Well, he prayed different to all the men in the Old Testament. All the women in the Old Testament. He prayed completely different to all of them. Study it for yourself. Look at the prayers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at their prayers. Jesus prayed completely different than what they prayed. Look at the prophets. Look at Elijah or Amos or Obadiah. Look at their prayers. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus prayed completely different to them. Or maybe consider Moses or Daniel or Job. Study their prayers. Jesus prayed completely and totally different to them as well. So the question then, how did Jesus pray? Well, when Jesus prayed, he went to the tomb of Lazarus, for example. We have it here. So they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I can take you down to the cross. And when he was nailing Jesus' hands and his feet to the cross, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they were doing. 
When he was hanging on the cross and he's been there for a number of hours and his breathing became shallow and he can hardly speak, he raised his voice one more time and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, when Jesus prayed, he prayed like no other man did in the Old Testament. He called God his Father. No one else did that. And when he called God his Father, he was speaking to a God that is the Alpha and the Omega, the Elohim, the creator of heaven and earth. And yet he called God. Now, when the Spirit of God comes upon you and lives in you, you can pray like Jesus. Oh, I can hear something. Oh, I want to pray like Elijah. I want to pray like, you know, I want to pray like these big prophets back there. They couldn't pray the way Jesus prayed. But you now can take a step over these men and pray like Jesus. Jesus called God Father and now you're invited to call God the Almighty. Yes, he is the creator. Yes, he is the sustainer. Yes, he is the maker of the ends of the earth. Yes, he knows the distant planets. Puts them in the sky himself. Yet you can know him as Father. I understand that next Saturday is the royal wedding. I hope you got your invite and you are planning on attending Prince Harry is tying the, the knot or the bow, whatever you might call it. Um, Prince William and Prince Harry, when they see their, their Prince Charles, you see him on TV, always calling Prince Charles father. That's what they would call him, father. Even if they saw him in his pyjamas and his slippers, they would probably still call him father. This is what these um, private educated people might call their dads. They call them father out of respect. But God turns around and says, and he invites you. Not only do I want you to call me father, but I want you to call me Abba. There's a difference. My verse here, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You know, the word Abba is Greek. It actually really means beloved Father in Greek. But it carries the notion of a personal relationship with the father so you're not just calling him Abba father you're calling him daddy you enter into a relationship with almighty God that is intimate that is personal that is relational that is close that is tender and kind you enter into that relationship where you no longer just call him father but you call him dad you call him Abba Beloved Father. So the son is brought into close relationship. And that's what happens when you become a born again Christian. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
and enters in you and you get born again. You come out of a relationship of being an enemy of God and you come into a relationship of being a son or a daughter connected to the Father. And yes, we read that one who will inherit all that God has. Can you believe that? You will inherit everything that Christ has inherited. Here's a verse up on the screen. It says here, um, well, let me go, I'm going to explain this for you. You, you. you inherit everything. The, the story of the prodigal son, people forget this one line in the whole story of the prodigal son. We like the story of the prodigal son and we focus upon what the father says to the boy who went away. But he, the father also speaks to the son who stays. And we don't often think about what he said to him. But he said these words to him. He said to the son who stayed, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Everything I have, said the father, is yours. And those of you who know the story of the prodigal son know that the father pictures the heavenly father. And he turns to the son and he says, you are a co-heir with the other son. You will inherit my estate. And what the Bible is saying, my dear friends, that you will inherit all that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, have, who ever heard of someone in line to a throne concerned about playing in a gutter? Who ever heard of someone who has fortunes coming their way, still counting the pennies in their piggy bank, when they realize that actually the pennies in the piggy bank are worth nothing compared to the fortunes that is in God? Who's ever heard of someone concentrating on the filth in the gutter when they've got fortunes awaiting them? Who's ever heard of that? But that's what we do every single day. We are concerned about the pennies. I don't care how many pennies you got down here. You're concerned about the pennies. But I want to tell you, if you're a son of God, a child of God, you have a mansion waiting for you in glory. If you're a son of God, you have treasures unknown to man. Eye has not seen, nor ear have heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Praise be to God. And yet the church is so concerned about the gutter stuff. So concerned about fixing our minds upon the vehicles, upon the houses, upon, the, upon, upon, upon whatever we have down here. So concerned about the flesh, that we forget that we got an inheritance stored up in heaven, unfaded, uncorrupted, untouched, waiting for you. We're completely and totally blind to that truth. But this morning I want to tell you, you're a son if you're a Christian. This morning I want to tell you, you're a daughter if you're a Christian of God. And I want to tell you, you will inherit all that is Christ. Because of what the Bible says. But one more thing before I close. Because Paul doesn't close like that. You see, if I wasn't a... I'm, I want to be a faithful preacher. 
If it wasn't a faithful preacher, I would send you away. And you would go away saying, wow, I've got so much to look forward to. I'm going to inherit heaven. I'm going to inherit the glories that belongs to Christ. I'm going to have, and you go out there and you'll be skipping away. And that would be a wonderful thing to say. And that would be true. But Paul adds one more word before he goes. One more word. And he says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering. in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, there's something about sharing in Christ's suffering. You see, sharing in Christ's suffering is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. Paul writes somewhere else and he says, I want to know Christ. There's a slide there, that verse in Philippians. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Who doesn't want to know that? I want to know Christ. And also, I want to know the power of his resurrection. That's what I want to know. But Paul doesn't stop there. No, he goes further. I'm not going to stop just with the power of his resurrection. He goes on and he says, and the fellowship. Of sharing in his suffering. You see, when you suffer for Christ, or for Christ, or with Christ, or sharing Christ's suffering in any way, however that might be, it comes past a loving hand of a father. That's why it's mentioned in the same section. You can call him Abba, Father, Dad, Daddy. You can call him, you can have that relationship with him. Because when you go through and you share in Christ's suffering, you pass through an area of time where God will turn around and say, Son, daughter, you're going through a difficult time. You're suffering, you're sharing in my suffering. But I want you to know that I love you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. You don't have to say, why, Lord, why me? Why, why, why? You don't have to say that. Now I want to tell you this morning, God said, I love you. And as you go through the valley, as you go through hard times, you need to realize that I love you as my son, as my daughter. And even though you go through hard times, I want to remind you, says the Lord, awaiting you is the inheritance that my son has. Awaiting you is a crown of glory that I gave to my son. Awaiting you is authority that Jesus has. Awaiting you is all these wonderful things. Because you're sharing in Christ's suffering. In fact, scripture clearly says, we share in his suffering in order that we might share in his glory. Some people want the resurrected life. But you know when Jesus got resurrected, before that, he had to wear the crown of thorns. The crown of thorns came before the, res- after, before the resurrection. And my dear friends, as sons, as children of God, we may be called to go through a time of hardship. We may be called to go through a time of suffering. 
But whatever that suffering or hardship may be, God reminds you this morning that you belong to me. You're my child, my son. I will never forsake you, never leave you, never abandon you. Can a mother forget the baby nursing at her breast? Even if she forgets that baby, I will never forget you, says the Lord. Why? Because I called you into relationship with me. And I've given you a spirit, not a spirit of fear that makes you fearful of death or fearful of judgment. No, but I've given you the spirit, my spirit, that makes you a child of the living God. Are you crying out Abba today? Are you crying out Father today? Because if you can, if you do, then you're praying like Jesus because you are co-heirs with him. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord God Almighty, that you haven't abandoned us, you haven't left us, to our own devices. You haven't left us as orphans. Without parents. Without guardians. Defenseless in the world. You haven't left us like that Lord. But you, you've come. And you've provided and sent your spirit. Into our hearts. I pray Lord God. That your spirit will be working today. That many Christians here. We want to pray to you in a different way. Pray to you, O oh God, in a way that cries out from the depth of their hearts, Abba, Father, beloved Father, one who cares for me, one who loves me, one who's intimate with me, one who knows me completely and still accepts me as I am. Abba, Father. May there be cries coming up to you, O oh God from your people today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.